Welcome to Sports Rivals with Monty and Ernie, lively, entertaining banter on sports topics you want to hear. All right, Ernie, it is officially the month of March. It is March Madness. If tournaments have not already started, tournaments will be starting again. That's Ernie. I'm Monty. Together, we are the sports rivals in our third year of putting out quality podcasts, both locally in Hawaii and around the United States. So, Ernie, let's get started with a recap of local basketball. Okay. The University of Hawaii men's team goes on the road on Thursday after a, uh, a fairly even first half romp Northridge in the second half, winning by 24 points, which believe it or not, when they said this after the game, I was pretty shocked. The biggest road victory in University of Hawaii men's basketball history. history. Really? A 24-point win on the road. It was the biggest road win in history. Now, on Saturday, the luck ran out. They met the uh, you know USB Gauchos on their home floor. The Gauchos had an opportunity to tie for the league crown. It wasn't close from the beginning. The Gauchos jumped out red hot early, ended up beating Hawaii by 20 points to secure one of the top two seeds and be tied. So Ernie, going into the tournament, the Big West tournament next week, the University of Hawaii men finished the season at 22 and 10, 13 and 7 in conference. That's good enough for fifth. They are the fifth seed going into the conference tournament. So you have Irvine at one, Santa Barbara at two, Riverside at three, Fullerton at four, Hawaii at five. So we play Fullerton 1230 p.m. local time on Thursday. We are 0-2 against Fullerton so far this year. So hopefully we're due to get one against against Cal State Fullerton, who had their last two games canceled because of lack of players on the teams that they were supposed to play. Yeah, I would say with the parity the way it is within the conference, I want because everything everything is relatively close. And it's very hard to beat a common opponent three times in a row. So I would say just based upon, you know, the law of averages that hopefully Hawaii has the advantage in that. I'm hoping. And when the, when these tournaments are in Las Vegas, there are so many Hawaii transplants that live in Las Vegas. Right. Plus, Hawaii people don't need much of an excuse to fly to Vegas. Right. They're certainly going to have more of the fan environment than Cal State Fullerton is going to have because those fans are not going to travel real well. So this is what UH is kind of looking at, though. They're going to have to beat Fullerton. More than likely, they're going to have to beat Irvine, the number one seed and then beat either the Gauchos or Riverside in a championship game. So that is a tall task, but I certainly think Hawaii has just as good an opportunity as anyone else in the top seven seeds. I consider the top seven, Davis at six, Long Beach at seven, any one of those seven teams can win three games to me. Oh yeah, oh yeah, totally. I mean, like I said, this is a bunched up group. I mean, the parity is definitely... Uh, playing into this this year's tournament, I would you know it, it goes back to even the the whoever gets into the big dance. I mean, it, it's just been a crazy year. To me, this is a year where I'd be shocked if the number one seeds. All go to the final. Four. I'd be shocked if half of them make it to the final four. Yeah, it's been a crazy season, and it looks forward to an unbelievable month of March. So the men secured the fifth seed. The Wahine actually get the third seed. Good so they've struggled in the regular season, in the in the pre-part of the season, but they go the same 13-7 and seven in conference. They're the number three seed. Um, last year, they won the regular season and they won the tournament. Maybe they can do it again. I mean, Laura Beeman always has their team peaking at the right time. So I wouldn't put it past them. But the top two teams on the female side are dominant. They're so much further ahead than everyone else Mm -hmm. um, that I think it's going to be a challenge for Hawaii to have to beat both of them, the two seed and the one seed. So hopefully they can take care of business early and get an upset. Somebody else take out the one and two seeds to make it a little bit easier. But 
That's where we're at, guys. It is March Madness, the Big West Tournament in Henderson, Nevada at the new center there. Starts early this week on Tuesday and Wednesday. UH play on Thursday. The men play at Thursday at 12.30 p.m. So, Ernie, before we go too much further and go back into uh, college basketball, NBA basketball, etc., I want to revisit what we spent a long time on last week, which is the whole June Jones suggestion as it relates to the AD search. So right, we right. had some follow-up information and I felt almost vindicated in a way because <laughs> in, our, in our discussion last week, we specifically mentioned people like Jesse Sapolo right. or Artie Wilson as being perfect candidates for this. Well, lo and behold, um, on Thursday and Friday, news breaks that Artie Wilson had prepared an official petition signed by 27 UH former athletes and coaches about the lack of diversity city in this um, selection group mm-hmm. and it was signed it was hand delivered by Artie Wilson to David Lastner's office and there that's where it laid Jesse Sapolu was one of the people who did sign it as well as other prominent names like Rich Miano and basketball wise Tim Shepard and and many others with a heavy focus on African-American and Samoan, not Hawaiian, but Samoan players. Mm-hmm. So we talked about this last week already. Uh, it's came back again this week. I believe that UH is really in a hard place right now. I believe they're going to be, they're going to really have to. Hawaii prides itself as being a melting pot, as being a very diverse place. Right. So I believe UH felt that they were being diverse. I mean, Allen and Kule definitely felt that this committee was was diverse enough. However, when you have representation from the other side with some of the most prominent athletes in UH history mm-hmm. uh, signing a petition, I think UH has kind of in a, been backed into a corner now where I think they're going to have to expand this committee. And word came out yesterday that UH is considering expanding the committee like we talked about last week. I think they'll add a couple players, uh, an African-American and a Polynesian of some sort, not the part Hawaiian, but a Samoan or Tongan. I think that's what we're going to see. And we're going to have a nine-person committee moving forward. And I think that's kind of what we need. Because if I'm a candidate looking for this position... I'm already seeing dysfunction. I mean, I'm seeing controversy. I'm seeing dysfunction. Is that the environment that I want to get myself into? So what are your thoughts on Artie Wilson leading the charge on the petition? Well, I'm glad that he did it. And just going back from the standpoint of this is a selection committee. I don't, I'm not really sure if this is going to follow through to be the, uh, the hiring committee. But in my opinion, the more the merrier. Why limit it to a certain... To me, if you can bring in more candidates, why the hell not? Why not make it 50? Why, why not make it 75 or something like that? Just to get the number of quality candidates, especially if you're going to be putting parameters on it like the, that, like the three years experience and whatnot. I mean, that's going to that's gonna already limit your, uh, your options on there. And if you can bring get some at least some high-profile names, you know, the ones that we mentioned, why not? Why not? Why make a big... I mean, I, I can see it from Kool-Aid's standpoint, you know, maybe she's taking it on the personal side, being that she's Hawaiian and Filipino. I mean, Hawaiian, you know, and a female. And female. And maybe she's Filipino. She has a Filipino last name, but in any case, in any case, why not make it more diverse? I mean, to me... You're just you're 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 tying a hand behind your back by not being uh, flexible enough, you know, to bring in all these candidates. And like you said, like you said, if they see the turmoil, what's happening now? I mean, uh, it does no good, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I mean, I I completely agree. I, I mean, I think it it doesn't hurt. And again. Whether we want to like it or not, if you're an overall sports fan, if you're an athlete that played one of the secondary type sports in your history, the bottom line is in college athletics, you need your revenue producing sports to be strong. Right. And there's nowhere in the country that there's going to be at the D1 level that there's going to be a search committee form that has no ties to either men's basketball or men's football i mean you're just not gonna see that anywhere and i think it's not necessarily that there is only a diversity thing i i think honestly that what they're saying 
June Jones initially, and even Artie Wilson to some extent, I think what they're saying is the biggest sports are not being represented, but you can't necessarily say that. So the better angle to take is to say, hey, football and basketball are not being represented because those are the two sports that have the highest number of African-American and Samoan players. So it's easier to say, hey, diversity is not being you know exhausted as much as it could be rather than saying we need a football guy and we need a basketball guy on this committee because those are the ones that draw the most revenue so we'll see what happens i think uh you know professor lastner is kind of backed into a corner at this point but there's some great candidates there like i said last week jesse sopolo would be a wonderful addition and the fact that he signed this petition leads me to believe he's probably interested i would i would take him i would take him in a heartbeat i would also take miano i mean miano has a you know he's not a coach or anything but he's a prominent name he can he might be able to attract it or at least you know well he's a former nfl player the trouble with rich and the reason why i don't think rich is going to be on this committee is i think rich has too much of a tie to june to do June Jones Probably. and I think UH has kind of washed their hands of June Jones at this point right. and don't want to go down that road so I would think June uh, I would think Rich Miano is going to be kind of a long shot I expect the same two guys I said last week Sopolo and Artie Wilson Artie Wilson is the one that created the petition so maybe that's a little awkward to put him in now it's like he bullied his way onto the committee um, but we'll see but I would expect within the next few days that word will come out that the committee has been expanded by at least two people. Yeah, I would. I would hope it comes out to and and irregardless of what where you whether you think this is diverse or not or not and what's going to be the threshold or not. I mean, again, it, for me, it comes down to why the big stink about adding more players. I mean, again, diversity is one thing. My standpoint is. The more, the merrier. I mean, yes, there, there, there's a formula for too many, too many cooks in the kitchen, but in this place, I don't. I, you already, you already got seven. Come on. Yeah. Two and, more. And what, what group of people will give us the best opportunity to attract the best, highest caliber? Candidate Exactly. Female, male, whatever the race may be, we want the best possible candidate that can help UH stem this transitionary period over the next five years and then thrust us forward over the next 10, 15 years. So I'm, I'm curious to, to hear. And you know what else I'm curious, Ernie? I cannot wait to tune in tomorrow. Well, actually, gang, by the time we release this, we'll release this at around 7.15 in the morning on Monday. You'll have 45 minutes to rush <laughs> on your dial turn on 95.1 fm or 760 a.m and listen to kule and alan on wake up in the den again that's their time every day monday through friday but i cannot wait to hear their rebuttal of what happened because i think this happened after they last were on air on friday so whoo <laughs> it's it's gonna be new year's eve up in that salem media studios at the hawaii sports radio network so um can't, can't blame the passion. As long as, if you're passionate about it, go for it. And that's what makes sports talk radio. I mean, people that have diverse opinions on, on popular topics, that makes for great talk radio, and they do a great job in the morning. So, Ernie, let's stay within the NCAA realm. We're getting really, really close. I know over this weekend, your North Carolina Tar Heels lost a heartbreaker to Ouch. Duke on senior day. My Michigan Wolverines loses in double overtime on Wednesday. And overtime today at Illinois, at Indiana, two games they had opportunities to win, found ways to lose. Right now, according to uh, Bracketology on ESPN, both Michigan and North Carolina are Are out out of the tournament and significantly out, not even considered the next four in. The thing with your Tar Heels, though, Ernie, I still believe that they just have too much talent. That's me dropping stuff. Just so angry about Michigan, I'm <laughs> dropping stuff in here. I believe they have too much talent. I can see North Carolina still winning the ACC or winning a couple games and getting into this tournament. Uh, they can. They just got to play with uh, the right chemistry. To me, that game against Duke, uh, they were their own worst enemies. I think there were times where they took, they weren't patient. I mean, they took ill-advised shots. At the same time, uh, you know, Duke relied on their big men. They knew what the formula was in order to... So basically, Duke maximized what they had. 
I don't think North Carolina did the same thing. I mean, if, if not for the the shooting demonstration uh, of well, love was was uh, was off. But if, if I can't I, I can't believe I, I, I R J Davis R J Davis yeah. if he didn't shoot well in the second half, I, I don't think that was going to be a good game. But still. This North Carolina team is a far cry from last year's team, in my opinion, just by from the eye test. Yeah, and so last week, if you guys remember, we're talking about NCAA basketball. I told you guys that Kentucky is on fire. They're playing like the best team in NCAA heading into the tournament. And so the next day at home, they lose to Vanderbilt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I had to eat my words there. But then they rebounded. They had a very impressive win at Arkansas. I still believe they're going to be a problem both in the SEC uh, tournament as well as the NCAA tournament. But Ernie, right now, as of today, the supposed top four seeds are going to be Kansas as the number one overall seed. They lost on Saturday. Right. Uh, Alabama still the number two lost. overall seed. They lost, lost on Saturday. <laughs> Houston, who is ranked number one, but have very they only have four quadrant one wins, will be the number three overall seed. They almost lost today. They hit a shot at the buzzer to survive at Memphis. And then the fourth number one seed had been Purdue for most of the season. They lost again this week. UCLA seems to have jumped them into being the fourth number one seed. UCLA with only four losses. They're 28 and four, which would mean Purdue would be five. So does that mean anything? No. If those were the four number one seeds, would all four of them get there? No. Probably not. Nope. You know, we talked about how hard it is to repeat. So even if Kansas goes in as the number one overall seed, it's going to be a challenge for them to win back to back. If Houston can get to the final four, Ernie, the final four is in Houston this year. So I think Houston has a good, legitimate shot to win the national championship, whether they're the best team or not. We're mm-hmm. going to have to see. Um, but they have experienced guards. They have a big man. They have athletes. They were there last year. Um, that, that could be interesting. But you're right. This could be the year that somebody can come out of nowhere and actually win this thing. And this could be the year where a 16 seed beats a one seed. Could be. Again. Could be. I'm going to make a bold prediction right now. That the uh, University of Hawaii are going to win the national championship? <laughs> <laughs> that, that, would be a, that would be a crazy <laughs> prediction. I'm going to say that only one number one seed you know, gets with, there. Yeah, gets to the final four. Well, I'll wait until the matchups come out next, next Sunday to see how things lie. But my favorite teams, it does not look like Michigan is going to make it, although I believe Michigan can play with anyone in the nation, but they find ways to lose. And Gonzaga is playing really, really well. They have their West Coast Conference um, semifinals tomorrow. They play against the University of San Francisco. But looking at, at matchups, there are so many teams that Alabama, I mean, that Gonzaga does not match up with. For example, if they have to play Purdue, Purdue already blew them out once. Zach Eady is a problem yeah. for Drew Timmy. That, that wouldn't be a good matchup for them. Yep, center you. Kansas wouldn't be a good matchup for them. So there, there are teams, because Gonzaga guys have been in the Sweet 16 for seven consecutive years. And there's real doubt in my mind, depending on where they get seated, that they're going to be able to win two games and get to the Sweet 16. I hope I'm wrong, because I would love for Drew Timmy to stay in as long as possible. But... This year, it could be a a situation where I'm cheering or just watching for the beauty of watching March Madness and my team's not actually participating. Although Duke is still still decent, Mm -hmm. um, but Michigan and Gonzaga, my top two teams, we'll see how far Gonzaga can go. Usually when you have high expectations of them, they fade out at some point. Maybe with lower expectations, they surprise. Yeah, you never know. You never know. You never know. I mean, to me... I'm, I'm, I'm going for a bracket busters. I'm, I'm looking for all the upsets out there. I mean, that's the way, that's why they call it March Madness, you know. So I'm kind of hoping that the pot gets stirred, that the brackets get busted in, you know, the day one and day two of the tournament. But I'm looking very much forward to this tournament because, like you said, and we've mentioned it time and time again, anything can happen this year. 
Anything can happen. All right, that's Ernie. I'm Monty. We are the Sports Rivals again, affiliated with and part of the Hawaii Sports Radio Network. So, Ernie, let's transition to the NBA. So, last week, I was hyped about my Lakers. They had just beaten the Dallas Mavericks. They had won three games in a row. We were on a roll. We knew that LeBron had gotten injured during the game, but he finished the game, so we were optimistic. By the next day, 12 hours later, LeBron James is out, which could be for the rest of the season. We'll have to see. He'll be reevaluated in three weeks. There's some kind of a tendon tear in his foot. I was telling Ernie off the air, I have heard that it is a plantar fascia tear or something similar to that, and that technically he could play, but by playing, he could jeopardize his long-term career. At his age... That's a couple more years. So I think at this point, the Lakers are going to play it safe with LeBron. I would. They did had a great victory today after a disappointing loss Friday. They had a great victory today against Golden State. They're still alive. They're still right there in contention to get into the playoffs. The thing is, LeBron is out, but D'Angelo Russell has been out for six games in a row now. I believe he's only played two games since this trade. We got to get that guy back on the court because he can provide a little bit more stability, a little bit more shooting, another option towards the end of the game because AD really carried them down the stretch today, hitting every every shot, 39 points, uh, 38 points the other yeah, day. He he's for, being the AD possessed. we need him to be. Can they continue going forward? So... My expectations are not that high. On the flip side, Ernie's expectation of his Celtics are sky high, as it should be. They've been the leader in the NBA for the entire season. They now find themselves a game back of Milwaukee. They just lost a tough double overtime game to the New York Knicks. Um, where do you think the Celtics are at this point with 20 games left? I think they're playing with too much... Uh uh, too much of a lackadaisical attitude. I think because they've been good for so long, for a majority of the season, I think they're resting on their laurels. I think the leadership of this team needs to step up in the form of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Both of these players are not vocal. I mean, Jalen Brown is vocal uh, off the court, but on the court, they're very just two, uh, you know, lead by example type of guys. Uh, the, the ones that do talk, I don't think they hold uh, an ounce of credibility, that being Marcus Smart <coughs> and uh, Williams. <coughs> Williams, and they don't, uh, yeah, it's not going to happen. Here's what I think, though. They have, they, in, ev- in every loss that they, they've had, at least the ones that, that, that I can remember, I mean, they lost... They lost three times to Orlando. They lost. They. Th- this is probably their tenth or eleventh overtime game against the Knicks that they lost. That you know that they played. Uh, they've. They have more talent than everyone. It's about bringing it together. When when the fire is lit under this team, as shown by last year, and when they play big games, uh, a la the Seventy Sixers, a la the Bucks. You know, and all those teams, they've come up to play. I am a little bit worried from the mentality side that if this team gets like a two-game lead on a team, that they're going to let their guard down. That's the biggest problem. Other than that, I still think they're the best team out there. Maybe not the best starting. I I, I would reserve that to, uh, you know, the Golden State Warriors still have a great starting five. You know, you got to look at Phoenix out there who, in my opinion, Phoenix still has to gel a little bit more. They kind of, although they beat Dallas today, uh, that wasn't one of the better. I mean, Dallas is finding it hard to to mesh right now. So, you know, and and you got Philadelphia out there who's who's got a pretty decent one-two punch. But, yeah. I like your Celtics. I I still do. I I do think, though, it is going to be a matter of they have to go into the playoffs healthy. I think Malcolm Brogdon is just such an important player. Yeah. He's just he's such a smooth player. He's a great shooter. One of the top two three-point shooters in all of the NBA. Um, and he just settles things. He's so calming. 
And then Robert Williams has to be able to stay healthy. But if they can go into the playoffs and be healthy, fully healthy, I still have the Celtics as my favorite coming out of the East. Um, And I actually, I still believe that the East probably has the two best teams. The Celtics and Bucks, to me, if they're both healthy, are the two top to bottom strongest teams in the NBA. The West is still a crapshoot. I mean, Denver, uh, Jokic still plays well. Golden State still can't win on the road. They got Curry back today. They got almost everybody, but Wiggins is now back. But they lose their 24. Ernie, they're 7 and 24 on the road this year. That is. Quite remarkable. I mean, they set the record for the most worst record by a defending champ on the road. Um, I, I'm flabbergasted by yeah. them. So I have you have to believe that if they're all healthy, can they get on a run? Of course they can because they have so much talent. But at this point in time, I'm a little bit leery. You mentioned the Dallas Mavericks. They had lost four in a row since the Kyrie trade. It seemed like they had figured it out. They'd won two in a row. The other day, both Luka and Kyrie go for 40. Um, and then today, they look like they were they were leading. They were going to be able to pull it off. But Kevin Durant in his first week has been spectacular. Spectacular in the form of his efficiencies. 12 out of 18 in, in one game. He's 6 out of 9 in another game. He's so efficient. And all the clutch shots he was hitting he took them down the stretch he finishes with 38 points the question with the Suns is not their starting five Booker has gone off since Durant's been there can Paul stay healthy and facilitate for everyone else and do they have enough depth if somebody gets nicked up if Durant or Booker get into foul trouble do they have enough scoring depth um, to carry them to four series wins. That's the thing. That's going to be tough. It's not a one-game championship. It is four series, 16 wins in the playoffs before you can win the championship. So I'm a little leery that that the Phoenix Suns are going to be able to put that kind of a run together. I agree. I agree. I mean, I, I'm still holding Denver as my number one seed. I hope so. I hope the Joker gets gets one so everybody who, who is critical of him for never winning a championship can get off his back because the guy has been just phenomenal yeah, the last I mean, three I, years. I mean, I mean they're, they're consistent. We, I mean, the the Phoenix Suns, if I can add upon what, what you were trying to say, I mean, they, there's a formula out there in regards to uh, nullifying Chris Paul. Uh, Boston put a formula out there in order to, like, limit Kevin Durant in regards to the physicality. You know, you play, you play the guy physical, which then leaves Devin Booker. Can Devin Booker, you know, br- pretty much take you to the promised land on that formula when you really trade away really a bunch of your bench I mean, the bench that you lost with Mikhail Bridges, you know, Doris, Dorian Finney-Smith was crucial, you know, in regards to, you know, their success in the past. They also lost Jay Crowder, who's now playing for the Milwaukee Bucks. I mean, that's a lot of firepower uh, that you lost over there. Yes, you have Kevin Durant, but still, I really think that it's going to be uh, Denver's uh, show to lose. They, they've just been too consistent. Yeah, I mean, they, they really have. If they can stay healthy, that Murray has to stay healthy and Porter has to stay healthy and the Joker, of course, has to stay healthy. But if it's not going to be the Lakers, I think I'm going to find myself rooting for Denver to get as far as possible because they really haven't done anything in a long time. So we cannot leave the talk of the NBA. Uh, and in my closing thought, I'm going to get back to some, some NBA-related news but John Morant, Ernie, earlier in the week, stories come out about him and a Crazy. 17-year-old boy Crazy. in the summer and some other things that were that were issues. Um, it seemed like it was like, ah, okay, I understand. He said it was self-defense. Ah, this makes kind of sense. We'll let it go. And then last night after getting, well, Friday night, it was Saturday morning early, after getting blown out by Denver, he goes clubbing in the Denver area. He does an IG live of himself dancing without his shirt, holding a pistol in his hand, a handgun in his hand. Ernie, it's as if he's gone off the deep end here. It has, and those aren't the only two incidents. It's the, it's the Pacer incident where the, uh, it looked like there was a laser pointed at the uh, uh, Pacer's employees. You know, could have been a target. You know, uh, what do you call that? Those gun target things. Right. Uh, on, on top of that, there was another incident regards, regarding uh, retaliation uh, at a mall because the mom got upset 
the mom called Josh. Josh shows up uh, immediately with five of his, uh, with nine of his cronies, uh, asking what time this particular employee gets off. You know, so I mean that it's basically like what the reports are saying. It's it's a thug mentality. Yeah, it's like he's gone gangster, and I don't understand because he had such a good rep. Well, his public persona and reputation yeah. seem to be. Otherwise, Perfect. Otherwise, like, yeah. like like a superstar, like I, on on the verge of NBA superstardom in the ways of Curry and those types of players yeah. because of his dynamic ability on the court, and it just seems like there's something wrong with him right now. And he has been he has been unavailable for a minimum of the next two games whether it was a suspension or what he said he's left the team to try to get a hold of himself he's apologized he said he has to do a better job of dealing with his stress and and whatever is is going on here um I would agree. I mean, what he is exhibiting right now is not going to change between missing today's game and missing Tuesday's game. He's lost millions. Three days does not make a difference if there's really something that is going wrong with him at this point in time. So it's a sad day. It's a sad day for the Memphis Grizzlies because he's a star. It's a sad day for the NBA because I think they are counting on John Moran to be one of the faces of the league going forward. And it's ultimately the the saddest day for John Morant because he has so much to give um, and he could be derailing what could be not only an extremely lucrative career as you've alluded to, but just a, just a, an amazing basketball career could be going off the rails here at a 24 years old. I mean, yeah, I mean, he, he hasn't broken really any laws. It's just basically his actions you know, and, and the public persona of this guy, who's going to, I mean, if, if you're a high profile athlete, I mean, your money is made through endorsements. I mean, and pff, at least for the near future, all of that is gone. And that's what he's, con- I guarantee you right now, he's not contemplating, oh, what did I do this? What did I do? He's con- con- contempl- counting all the money that uh, he's lost in, in all these endorsements. I mean, it's going to come back. He'll get paid. He will. I mean, there, there's no doubt about that. He'll get, pay, he'll get paid his NBA money. But uh, he's going to have to work hard and heavy in regards to turning this uh, repetition around. I mean, we've, we've already seen it. I mean, they were liking this to uh, Allen Iverson when he was in the league, that type of thug mentality. Uh, I think it's a little bit harder now with the social media being as it is. I mean, you look at things. Uh, I mean, people are going to be pointing at you. There's going to be reporters out there, you know, paparazzi. They're going to be looking for this now. They're not going to be just looking at looking at Ja just for you know his basketball, uh, you know, basketball things. They're going to looking for him to make a mistake and then exploiting that because now I can get a number of hits in regards to breaking this news first and whatnot. So I, 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 pity, I pity him for that reason because, it, you know, again, we live in a different age right now. Access to what you do on and off the card is just so much more magnified than it was in the past. But at the same time, if you play that game right, you can make a lot of, uh, of money off of that. And uh, I don't think he was advised correctly in how he should act. I mean, there's been a number of reports on that his father failed him in, in this regards. His father had something to, had something to say, and I, I think he mentioned something that I'm a John Morant fan, and then there's other guys that you're his father. You shouldn't be a fan. You should be his father and guide him through this part, which is correct. Yeah, know. I mean, at this point in time, I think the number one concern is for John Morant and make sure that he gets his mental health in order so that he can have just a normal, healthy life before he hurts himself or somebody else with his actions or his thug mentality that's going on right now. That has to change. Basketball is secondary, but that is going to make Memphis's road a little bit tougher. You talk about a distraction. They won without him last year yeah. during the regular season. Can they win with him in the postseason this year without him? 
that remains to be seen. I mean, he is a dynamic, dynamic player. So that is something that we had to talk about. Again, that's Ernie. I am Monty. There's not a whole lot of NFL. I think what I want to do, Ernie, next week or sometime when it's slow, it may not be for a while because it is March Madness. Right. I have these wild ideas of what some of these teams should do before the draft and some superstar names that I would trade if I were certain teams. But we're going to save that. But for those of you that are NFL junkies, the combine was this week, but I was telling Ernie off the air, this combine seems to be dying in its importance and dramatically. There were a number of teams, including my Rams, didn't send the coach, didn't send the GM. They sent a, a couple of scouts there. What it has become is that everyone who is anyone opts out. They're not participating uh, in the combine. Bryce Young went, he just measured himself and Ernie, that was one of the biggest news. Five foot ten and one eighth, that's my height, 204 pounds. He would be tied with Kyler Murray as the smallest quarterback ever drafted in the first round. Ooh, that's kind of scary. If I have the number one pick, I'm a little bit leery based on what I have seen with smaller players like Kyler always hurt. Tua always hurt and others you know it's it's a it's a dangerous proposition if you've got the number one pick do you invest in a quarterback that is that tiny he's not going to get any taller can he get bulkier because that's the difference I think Russell Wilson is that height but he's so stocky that he doesn't get quite as injured as a Tua or or as a Kyler that are really, really tiny people. Right, and when you have options, you have, I mean, you got Stetson Bennett, who's about the same measurables all around there, and, and that guy is that guy's a winner. Ernie's a big believer in Stetson Bennett, but from what I've seen <laughs> so far, he's still considered a fourth-round draft pick, and he has some legal troubles since the, since the national championship game. That, that's a problem. And that was the other big story of the week. The number one overall player whether he goes number one or not probably won't happen but Jalen Carter from the Georgia Bulldogs arrested earlier this week on the first day of the combine for reckless driving and racing stemming from the accident back in January that took the life of one of the Georgia assistant coaches and football players allegedly Jalen Carter was in one car racing against their car. They lost control of their car, got into an accident, and both of them did not survive. Um, so Jalen Carter has been arrested for, for racing and reckless driving. The bottom line is he's not responsible for the death. So even if convicted of that, that's not going to be jail time or anything along those lines. And, and let's be honest, Ernie, at, at 21, 22 years old, there's people racing around our subdivision all the time. Right. I mean, we hear that. So I, I don't think that would be a reason why you would not draft him unless that is shows a pattern of indiscretion. If that's an isolated thing, I still believe he's going to be a top four pick because that guy is dominant. He has Warren Sapp type, Chris Jones type uh, ability written all over him. So for me, those are the biggest stories of the week. Um, pro days have become where it's at. It's it's these guys wait so yeah. that they can control everything in their pro day versus having no control at the combine. So we'll see. Uh, hopefully by by the draft, we'll know who's going to be left for my Rams who are apparently <laughs> getting ready to trade everybody. Jalen Ramsey's going to be traded. Allen Robinson's going to be <laughs> traded. Um, we'll see. I yeah, mean, well, the, the Rams have to do something. So we'll see how dramatic things get in Los Angeles for my Rams. So right now, it's tough, Ernie. I mean, the, the LeBron's hurt. Michigan's out or looks like to be out. My Rams are getting rid of everybody who's worth anything. Oh, pick a Marcus. He's, he's available. <laughs> he, he, just, he just got uh, released this week. I know Marcus Mariota for us Hawaii people is just one of the heroes in this state because not because of the player that he is, it's the person that he yeah. is and the way he carries yeah. himself. I'm interested to see where he lands. It wouldn't surprise me if he goes right back to the Raiders, you know, where he was for a couple of years. They have really no one right now. That's been a talk. We'll see. We'll see what happens with that. Um, But Marcus will land somewhere. You know, he's he's definitely one of the top 64 
quarterbacks, I think, in the world um, to qualify for at least being a backup. I could see him being, if, especially if Baltimore gets rid of Lamar Jackson, I could see him fitting in that mold of being in that system. Um, but we'll talk about possible Lamar Jackson type trades next week. Anything on the Pittsburgh side that you've heard? I mean, it, it seems quiet on the it Pittsburgh is, it, front. It is because there's so much indecision in regards to who, uh, what direction they're going. I mean, I've seen offensive linemen. I've seen defensive linemen. I mean, it's it's it just doesn't. It, I've seen linebacker. So, I mean, until we get a little bit more clarity in regards to normally what the Pittsburgh Steelers do is they take a look at the overall draft. They see which position is the deepest. And they hold off that position until, like, for the second round, third round, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And they just go gung-ho on the first round. But but we'll see. We'll see. Right now, there's just too much, uh, you know, uncertainty in regards to what direction they're going. That way, that's why it's been so quiet. Yeah. So, again, that's Ernie Imonti. We are the sports rivals. I'm going to take us into my closing thought. And some of this is redundant. You know how Ernie always will bring up how much he loves Kyrie Irving? <laughs> I kind of fall into that category in this particular subject. This week, again, a lot of noise and chatter coming from especially Charles Barkley, also Shaquille O'Neal, and then Magic Johnson, all in regards to load management. And so I'm going to address that again because I find it fascinating. And I definitely think there's a generational aspect in play here the surprise part is anthony edwards the young stud out of the minnesota timberwolves also saying the same thing as is julius randall and some current nba players but generally speaking it's generational and that extends to the media i'm a huge colin cowherd fan i listen to the herd every day or i watch it on fs1 jason mcintyre um, is also on that show and jason mcintyre completely disagrees that he's completely for load management because it has shown in their eyes, in some eyes, that it extends people's careers. Mm -hmm. They figured out, if I don't have to play 80 games, I can play 50, I can play two to three more years. Whether that's true or not, the data does not definitely say that it extends a normal person's career is irrelevant in my opinion. I come from a business background and I want to talk not about load management per se, but from the business perspective. I think in any business, in any organization, the focus of the organization or the business has got to be your end user. The end user, the consumer, Ernie was in banking. If if you're not taking care of the people coming in and getting their deposits and making these loans and doing what you need to do to service these people, they have other options right? Same in the world of business, of which entertainment and the NBA specifically is a form of a business. It is a business. It's a true business. And what I feel, and the NBA, I think, is paying the price for this. I think they're rolling the dice. I think they're being disrespectful to fans in America with the hope that globally they're going to make this back up. I completely agree with Charles Barkley. I completely agree when he says it is completely disrespectful for you to be making $40, $50 million a year when a kid from a family that can't afford it is buying a ticket to watch you play and you sit out for no reason other than load management. And I completely agree. I mean, I think we've seen this in the world of business through Amazon. Amazon has put out so many companies because Amazon from day one has been intently focused on exceptional customer service and doing everything that they can to make the end product the best possible thing for their consumer. The NBA is in a dangerous situation here where they're basically saying, we don't care what the fans think. We don't care what the, like, if I'm a TV executive, do I keep jacking up my bids for them when I can't rely on the players playing when it's on a national TV game? The All-Star Games rating tanked. NBA ratings are putrid. XFL almost gets as much rating as the NBA, believe it or not. Um, I think the NBA is really on a slippery slope. It's not just that they make a lot of money. That's part of it because it's unrelatable to somebody who has to show up for work every day, whether they like it or not, just to feed their family, to have somebody who's making 40, 50 million dollars say, I cannot play two days in a row. 
Playing a back-to-back is just too hard for me. I can't do that. Mm-hmm. And and I also think it's disrespectful. And I think this is why Barkley and Magic, I think they get irritated because I think they feel like they built this sport. The sport was almost bankrupt before Magic and Bird came into right, play. Right. They saved it and Jordan built on that. But those guys played every single day. They weren't making anywhere near the money that these guys are making. They built this business for the players of today and for the fans. And the players of today is saying, hey, I don't care. I'm, go- I'm going to do what I want to do. And I'm going to sit. And then the teams buy into it to, to some extent. And then it goes from there. So that is the first thing that just irritates the hell out of me. It really, really does. I just think it's just complete disrespect. I think if you're making $40 million a year and a 15-year career, so $600 million is not enough for you, you need to treat the fans with disrespect so you can make maybe another $80 million. So $680 is what you need now. I think that's just completely detached from reality so i think that's something that has just uh i agree i agree with barkley he says a lot of dumb things sometimes but i completely agree with him and magic i don't know what the answer is i don't know what the answer is to get these guys to be willing to play um or to be forcing them to play but we'll see because the owners i think are starting to feel the same way hey you know what if i have lebron for an extra two years that helps me too. Yeah. If Curry is that, that helps me too. But again, these owners are worth billions. So, but again, if the if all you do is chase the bottom line, eventually the bottom line goes away. Right. And that that's something um, that that has really really bothered me. But I think that in the world of this business of sports, I think like these massive contracts, like the San Diego Padres are playing with monopoly money. The Mets just. 200 here, 300 million here, 350 million here, 440 million here. Um, but the, the reality of the situation is when, when Ernie and I were growing up, I think the value of a team was like 5 million, 10 million maybe. Now you have the Milwaukee Bucks being sold last week for $3.5 billion. You have the Dallas Cowboys worth $6 billion. So these owners are saying, hey, you know what? The the value of our company is so extravagant. I can afford to pay out 200 here, 300 million here, 400 million here. But again, in the end, the only people that lose are the fans. Yeah. Because they're going to be priced out. Yeah. Uh, and it, everything becomes corporate. It's corporate football games. It's corporate baseball games. It's corporate basketball games. It's even corporate in, in college now at many of these institutions. So I think it's sad because sports foundationally are for the people. And now it has become so one way where the players, I think, have too much power and the owners have always been too greedy for the most part. Um but again, in business, when you when you neglect those that are paying for everything, bad things can happen. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what's going to happen. I'll, and I'll add my two cents in regards to that. Not from a banker standpoint. Before I was a banker, I was an economics major, and based upon what economics uh, uh, tell me, are that the fans complain, but the fans still pay. They may not go to the games, but they buy the things that are advertised on TV. They buy the jerseys that these players uh, wear. They buy the shoes that these players wear and every other thing that they endorse. Okay. So in the end, really from a, I mean, I, I agree totally what Monty's saying, but the only way this fix is ever gets fixed is if a recession happens in regards to the NBA uh having some type of like a mark correction within their business and that's with the fans uh spending 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 yeah. less yeah so spending less n- not attending the biggest way the biggest way that the fans can make a difference because i think everyday fans are struggling to just buy tickets and like for me i'm i would be afraid to buy a ticket like my sister did. We talked about this earlier. Huge Giannis fan. She lives in Vegas. She flew to Boston to watch Giannis play against the Celtics. Um, 
and he sat out that game. The, all the $2,000 to get there to see Giannis play, and he sat out. And he doesn't sit out a lot, but that really bothered her. But it's not just buying the tickets, because the NBA fans will find a way to get corporate sponsors for that. It's TV. Yeah. If you stop watching TV, the TV contracts are financing everything. Yeah. So you got to stop watching. And... Ernie can't do that. He watched. I think Ernie has set the record. He's watched eighteen thousand six hundred straight Boston Celtic games. But I think for me, I'm not watching nearly as many games. Not necessarily because I'm frustrated with this. Uh, I just don't find it as interesting unless it's an interesting type game to watch that often. Um, but that's the, that's the way you do it. I mean, you just got to stop watching because. Yeah. TV finances everything. Yeah. The major leagues, NBA, MLS, NHL, and especially the NFL. TV finances everything. So if you want things to change, turn off the TV. Exactly. And that's what's going to hurt them the most. I think it's going to have to be a, a mass effort. on them Because these guys are rich for a reason. I mean, they know what drives the bus. Uh, they have analytics, anal- analytics people out there who are watching every single... Uh, find minutia on what generates revenue and they get one small anomaly saying hey you know what we got this much less views in regards to the uh playoffs this year or my team is on this uh, for this year and then they'll start to listen but if things start to and i can't remember when an nba team has been valued less year over year over the last 10 years yeah. This will continue to happen. It could be a pipe dream where we as fans want this to change. It's not going to change until our viewing habits change. Yeah, I mean, and based on the amount of money that you and I can save, I mean, we're hoping to buy a professional <laughs> sports team, right? We're saving money. We have piggy banks set up. We're hoping to buy a professional sports team. But now it looks like we're going to have to save for 1,800 years <laughs> before we can afford one at the rate of inflation. So, gang... Can you tell that load management fires me up almost as much as June Jones fires up Alan and Kule in regards to the subject of the AD search? It's just so irritating to me that these prima donnas who I watch and I cheer for and I like (laughs) as people uh, just don't have respect. I'm all about respecting people and always showing a, a, a gratitude, gratitude for those that pay your bills. And I just feel as if the NBA players specifically do not show that gratitude to the end user um, because they'll just miss a game for whatever the reason. And that is just not okay with me. I agree. Anything else you want to cover, Ernie? No, that was good. I'm well, good. let's recap what's happening this week. UH and, uh, men and women, Big West Tournament, both of them finished their conference at 13-7. and seven. The Wahine, the number three seed. The men, the number five seed. They'll be playing in Las Vegas earlier uh, this week. All conference tournaments start this week. If it hasn't already, I am going to be riveted to the ACC tournament. Can your Tar Heels turn it around? Big Ten tournament, can my Michigan Wolverines string together some wins here and sneak in? uh, West Coast Conference, can Gonzaga, looks like it's going to be Gonzaga and St. Mary's for the 100 year in a row in the championship game. Can Gonzaga win another title and propel themselves? I love March Madness. For me, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Ditto, ditto. There we go, gang. And until next week, check us out on social media. Sports Rivals Podcast on IG and Facebook, Sports Rivals Pod on Twitter. Especially tell me, do you agree with Charles Barkley, Shaq, Magic, and Monty? Do the four of us have a point here when it comes to loads management? Tell us what you think. We appreciate you all. And until next week, the Sports Rivals are out. Thank you for joining us on the Sports Rivals Podcast. Check us out on social media at Sports Rivals Podcasts on Instagram and at Sports Rivals Pod on Twitter, where you can share topics you'd like to hear.